Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 6 of Better by Association, an original podcast produced by the Texas Society of Association Executives. I'm Katie Markert, Marketing and Communications Director with TSAE, and one of your co-hosts. And I am Stephen Stout, TSC's Executive Director and your other co-host. Here we are on Episode 6, Stephen. We're halfway through the season. Look at us. Look at us. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I feel like each episode gets better and better to me. Agreed. And a lot of that has to do with our guests, as we have already had some incredible guests on our podcast for season one, and we are not done yet. No, we are not. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about innovation. This is such an interesting topic, I think, especially for an episode, because I feel so many of us are always chasing innovation. We talk about it. It's a buzzword, a lot of industry events. We all want to be more innovative and push the envelope. But at the same time, watching our spend and even our staff capacity, because innovating can be hard. It really can be. We, of course, are so lucky that our members do what we do. So we get to see firsthand all the incredible things associations in Texas are doing to push the envelope. That's true. We hear from our members across the state. So many of them are doing new and innovating things. It's it's so impressive. Truly, but one organization has really kept my interest when following them online since the pandemic with their offerings and services they are providing their stakeholders. So I wanted to extend an invite to them to speak with us today about innovation and how they approach it. Well, besides admitting to cyberstalking, I think that's a great idea. I make no apologies how I find our guests. But today we have invited Christopher Williston, the president and CEO of the Independent Bankers Association of Texas to speak with us about what innovation means for IBAT and how, as a leader, he embraces innovation in their offerings to their stakeholders. As you mentioned, Christopher is the president and CEO of IBAT, the largest state association dedicated exclusively to community bank advocacy. Prior to leading IBAT, Williston served the association for nine years in numerous roles, including chief operations officer, and held the position of Director of Communications at the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, Texas. In addition to his job responsibilities at IBAT, Williston has been recognized for his service to the association industry. He's a past chairman of the Texas Society of Association Executives, uh, so thank you for that, Christopher. <laughs> TSC also honored him with our Young Professionals Leadership Award and our Chairman's Award. He has also earned the Certified Association Executive, or CAE, designation, from the American Society of Association Executives. Williston is a graduate of Texas Christian University and Bright Divinity School at TCU. He and his wife, Michelle, live in Cedar Park, Texas, and have six children. Ooh, six children. I imagine you have to be pretty innovative just to get through the day with six kids. <laughs> I would think so. Before we chat with Christopher, though, let's take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, The Art of Mentoring. Yes, thank you, Art of Mentoring, for being an incredible partner for TSAE, not only supporting this episode, but also helping us launch our inaugural organization-wide mentoring program. Check out our website, tsc.org, to learn more about that program. Well, welcome, Christopher. We are really glad to have you here today to talk about all things innovation under the sun. But before we get started, we always like to ask the same first question to all of our guests, and you will be no different. So, We'd like to know your fallen story. As you know, Christopher, a lot of us have been doing this for a while, but none of us went to school for it or had planned on becoming in this industry or, or landing here. So we'd like to know, how did you fall into this space and your current role? Yeah, uh, so I'm president and CEO of the Independent Bankers Association of Texas. And I would say that my fallen story is probably unique of anyone that you've heard before. 
We'll see if I see. <laughs> Unlike a lot of folks, I grew up around associations. My dad ran IBAT for, that's the Independent Bankers Association of Texas that I work for now. My, my dad ran it for 30 years and he and I worked together 10 years there before he retired. My grandfather actually also ran the Texas Medical Association for more than 30 years. So I grew up around associations. Our family vacations were association events with just a few days tacked on uh, either side. Uh, TFA conferences, IBAT conventions, whatever it was. And I tell people like my misspent youth was cocktail receptions, right? <laughs> Standing awkwardly around, trying to talk to adults with like a Shirley Temple in your hand. <laughs> but let me say this, even with those realities, that didn't make this a slam dunk for me. In fact, it's really one of the last things I thought I didn't have doing. I don't get it. You don't really fully get what your parents do, what, what your dad does as a kid. So I'm a theologian by training. I have an ad undergraduate degree in comparative religion and a master's degree in theology. I thought I would end up in academia, and that was kind of the path that I was on. I took a job with an association before I came to IBAT, sort of as an in-between job when our family was just getting started. And then a couple of years into that, dad said, well, why don't you come work for me at IBAT? And I, again, fully expected this was temporary. My wife and I were looking at, thinking about where we'd ended up in the country for PhD programs. And um, I don't know what to say. I caught the bug of serving community banks and the diversity and fun of what we do as association managers. And um, 14 years later, here I am. Wow. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So working with your dad, how was that? Because, um, you know, I love my dad and I'm not sure him and I could work together. If him teaching me how to drive was any basis of us working on a project together, <laughs> we couldn't work together. So how did, how did that go? As I just taught my son how to drive, I... Fully appreciate that, Stephen. <laughs> you know, it's unique. It's unique to work with your dad. My dad was an incredible professional, is an incredible professional, was an incredible professional in the way that, that he handled it. I would say the biggest challenge probably worked for my dad was that feeling of, okay, I've got to prove myself 10 times over, right? Everybody's going to be going, what the heck is the boss's son doing here? Yeah. I felt like that in some ways. So yeah, I kind of got into it thinking, this will be temporary. I'm not here for too long. I'll do everything that I can. I'll help and I'll be out of here. But I never wanted what I did to reflect poorly on him. I would say that's probably one of the reasons why I am CEO today, right? It's probably one of the reasons I got super involved in TSAE because I wanted to learn everything that I could to be as good as I could be about what we do in running associations. That was a major motivator for me. So while there were ups and downs and challenges and sometimes hard conversations and awkwardness of, of working with Tim, I would say ultimately it ended up being one of those really highly motivating factors that turned me into the professional that I am. That's amazing. What a great story. I love that story. <laughs> Back to innovation, what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> We've been kind of talking about it a lot at TSA, especially uh, most recently we had a board retreat. And of course, as we do talk innovation and strategy in that manner, but one thing we realize is that it really does matter how you define innovation. So my question for you is, how do you define innovation? I think instantly when you say the, the word innovation, it becomes loaded up with all kinds of preconceived notions. And people think technology, right? We must be talking about technology and technological innovation. I want you to get that out of your head for a minute. Because when I think about innovation, I don't think it necessarily requires that you're talking about technology. Although... Almost everything we do in 2023 comes back to technology in some way, shape, or form in terms of how it's built or delivered or whatever, right? So 
while two aren't totally disconnected, I'm going to ask everyone to kind of just take their brain out of just the pure technology space for a minute. When I think about innovation, and if I was trying to define it for these purposes, I would say, I think it's a compassionate response to listening. Okay. Now let me unpack that for a minute. Compassionate response to listening. You know, we as association leaders have a tremendous responsibility to hear what our members are telling us about what their struggles are. We are their servants. We aim to do what they need in order to fill just whatever gaps are, are existing in their business. So when we are hearing that, it's our responsibility to say, how can we help solve this problem, right? Innovation really is about finding new ways to meet our members where they are and help meet their most pressing needs. So that's that's how I think about innovation. Now, pull that through to the association. I think that also has to mean that you have to be open to evolving your business model to adapt. So maybe adaptation is more appropriate than innovation. When people think about associations and their business model, right? They think education, advocacy, events, right? These are the plain vanilla programming that defines the business model of associations. But what if your members need something very different from you, right? What if they need you to to build a business that meets a need that's totally outside of what you do today? What if you have to evolve your business model to meet that need? Innovation in some ways is entrepreneurial, but I think when we say entrepreneurial, we kind of think about, well, I'm going to build this for ourselves. I'm going to build this business for our own revenue diversity, which is important. That's not where I want us to camp out either, right? I want us to really think about this as just a compassionate response to listening, right? What have our members told us that they needed? How do we respond to that? I love that. Because uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that defined that way. Um, and if you think about it, in the corporate space, the way you define it is kind of how we're hearing about all, like you're leaning back on tech a little bit. I don't, I don't want to stay there, but- No, that's fine. They create these things that fit a need that customers want, right? You know, for lack of a better example, but the Apple Watch, right? Someone, I'm sure someone was like, gosh, it'd be great if my watch could sync with my phone and I get text on my watch and, and Apple met that need. So I, I really love that definition. I don't know if I've ever heard it that, that way before. Thanks. I totally agree. Well, just to go back a minute, you talked about learning from your dad. I really do love that story. But when it comes to innovation, how would you say your approach is different or maybe it's the same as your dad's? Yeah, man. You know, I think so much of my approach to association management came from stuff that my dad taught me. I mean, that whole be a servant of your member, be responsive to your membership, like that's my dad through and through. So I don't necessarily think that our approach is different, but obviously the initiatives are different. Dad always taught me to think about, you know, what's next for the member. And he built a very, very forward thinking association at IBAT. The stuff that he did at IBAT 25 years ago was really, really innovative for the time. We have a, a very, very diversified business model. We're only about 40% dues dependent as a percentage of total revenue. And that's amazing. Like that is amazing. I don't know any other group that I've seen their revenue streams that membership is that low. It is pretty unique, right? Among, yeah. among what we do. And, and it's, it's helped us a lot. So the things that he put in place to create that diversity of income really were super innovative at the time robust endorsement programs that are built up with true deliverables, not just logos on a napkin type deliverables. He was really innovative in that manner. One of the other cool things is that the innovations that dad brought to the Independent Bankers Association of Texas, they're still paying dividends today. They're paying for us to be able to bootstrap new innovative solutions 
if he were on this podcast right now, he would tell you that we're much more technology focused in some of the deliverables and that's not his bailiwick. He was incredibly innovative for the time that he was serving. And those innovations are helping us pay for the things that we're doing today. That's amazing. And then Christopher, do you think that helped you guys during the pandemic, having those sort of differential revenue streams coming in more so than others? Yeah, it definitely helped a lot. At a time when, you know, we couldn't count on just pure events. We never heard from membership, but, you know, events are always a big part of an association revenue mix. And those were, those were obviously challenged for us like everybody else. We were still able to do some really robust virtual programming and get good revenue in the door, but it wasn't what it is any other year. That revenue mix, the, uh, that diversity of revenue that we have, some of those things are counter cyclical and actually kicked up in terms of activity during the pandemic because everything else was down or, or unknown. And so it did help tremendously during the, the pandemic to just allow us to not only survive, actually really come out of the pandemic really strong. That's awesome. Yeah. So we, we touched on your definition and we touched on your approach to innovation. So, but let's get into the details. So tell us about some innovative stuff IBET's doing right now with your you and your team and, and your group. We'd love to hear some of the stuff you guys are trying out. Sure. So I would say first, one thing you need to understand about community banking and serving community banking as an association is necessity is the mother of invention. We're trying to innovate our way of survival. We serve an industry that is disappearing. About a third of the community banks nationwide have disappeared in the last decade because of post-financial crisis regulation and regulatory burden that is heaped upon. Even though the biggest banks in the country caused the financial crisis, the regulatory, the congressional and regulatory response trickled down to affect even the smallest of rural banks in the country. And that meant that a lot of the smaller banks have merged into other institutions. They didn't fail. They just, they merged. They need scale to adapt to a really trying environment. So what does that mean for us as an association, right? That means fewer dues, fewer banks to attend conferences and buy education and all the things that we do to typically bring in revenue, right? And your plain vanilla stuff of associations. So use that as a base for this conversation and know that, you know, we as an organization have to then go, okay, well, how do we overcome those challenges? Right. And this is one of those areas where I would say, maybe as a caveat, I promise I'll get to details here in a second. <laughs> But, you know, while our situation may be unique in, in regard to how the industry is being affected, we're all dealing with some challenges that are similar, right? I think the really, really easy part in all this is to get focused on what our challenges are as an organization, and that can be really crippling. So over the last couple of years, as we sought out to just try to be as innovative as we can, we've been asking, you know, just what are our members telling us that they need? And how do we build businesses that respond to those needs? Even, you know, for us, how do we reach banks outside of Texas to sell them those products and services? Because if our market is declining, we're going to have to make an impact on a broader base of banks, maybe outside of Texas. Yes. That's resulted in the creation of, of two new businesses at IBAT in the last couple of years. One of those helps our members solve their people problems in particular. It's really hard for rural banks to find and train qualified compliance officers. Super technical work, high level of knowledge needed, very, very hard to fill those positions. So we created an entity where we actually hire compliance officers and offer them in a virtual capacity out to community banks around the state and or around the country. Again, not a lot of technology involved other than the fact that remote work and how they're serving in that capacity that's technology enabled, but it's not a tech initiative, right? We have a, a kind of side business to that too. Uh, maybe you've got somebody new and they just need 
really, really focused training. We have a subscription-based service as well that gives them all kinds of templates to do their job and just access to resources and things like that. So that's all under one corporate entity, but but sort of right. two separate businesses. Which is interesting because I feel like everyone's having humans problem right now, right? Staffing issues sure. and things. And you guys are speaking to that, which is unique because I can imagine, I, you know, thinking what you said about your sort of more rural banks, um, where do they go for, I need a quick training or, you know, maybe you're seeing things like we are in our space where brand new faces are coming into banking and that have never worked in a bank before. And they don't know the terminology, the lingo, all those things. How do I get that? How do I get up to speed really fast? Exactly. Uh, and you guys have provided that opportunity. That's awesome. So whether they can find somebody, but that person needs rapid training and yeah. or maybe a crutch to lean on. So we get yeah. up with somebody. <laughs> right. Um, and maybe that's a temporary solution for a couple of years. That's okay. Yeah. Or whether it's just they can't find anybody and they want to outsource the solution. And so we, we become that base of outsourcing. But that's being directly responsive to that those people needs that they pull us exist. Sure. Awesome. So that's one initiative. Another initiative really leverages a nation of banks nationwide to collaborate on their technology road mapping. So big problem that our banks have told us is just that technology and banking is sort of a black box in a lot of ways. There's a lot that goes into that discussion. We created an initiative called Bankers Helping Bankers that is nationwide. It's super cool. It's kind of, I, it's really tough to describe. It's sort of a, an enhanced closed social media network with a lot of data tools and education. And it's tough to describe other than it helps bakers collaborate on technology. But one of the really cool parts of that as an extension is that that actually led us to help create a venture capital fund last year. So through that fund, we incubate and help technology companies that are coming to market better and faster when their goal is to solve our members' challenges or the challenges of our members' customers. So if a really, really cool financial technology is coming into play and we're like, we really believe in this, we want to help them, we actually make investment through the venture capital fund. We do a lot of accelerating activities to help them come to market better and faster because we think either that's going to help our members maybe with a back office struggle or they're solving a problem of our members' customer. And so we think our members deploying this technology will keep them more competitive in the marketplace. No, that's amazing. So that actually, to make a, a, a confession, we are engaged a lot of our members online and, and I cyberstock a lot of our organizations or folks who work who work with us and we deal with. And I've, I've been following Bankers Helping Bankers for a while now since you guys launched, just because from what I understood, again, having very minimal knowledge about community banking, it looked really cool. So in a sense, and it sounds like you're like the community bank's answer to Shark Tank, which is super cool because I think, just think of how cool for your organization to be considered on the forefront of innovation for community banking through this program, right? So I imagine if it's going nationwide, you must be getting incredible press and sort of PR about this because I don't know many groups doing this, especially state groups, right? So just hats off. I've just thought it was really cool, innovative stuff. And, and you hearing you tell exactly what it entails besides what I can sleuth online. It's incredible. Congratulations to you and your team. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We got the highest compliment that I think we could be paid by an industry reporter a couple months ago. And he just said, you know, a lot of people complain about the problems that are going on in the industry, but you guys are trying to do something about it. That doesn't mean we're going to be successful. I mean, but we are. At the end of the day, that's all I want to be able to hang my hat on. Are we compassionately responding to the listening, right? Right. Yeah. It goes back to your definition there. And also... Leaning into that a little bit, Christopher, when you, when launching these innovative things and, and trying them out, do you or your team have a fear of failure? Oh, absolutely. 
Yes. <laughs> Without a doubt. Failure is inevitable, number one, in some regards. And it's scary in the sense of we don't want to pay ourselves into a corner, right? We don't want to commit a bunch of resources that make it impossible to recover from. So while we set down these paths, there's a lot of kind of go, no go decisions along the way. And there's a lot of, hey, we've been going down this road for the last three months, but we, you know, we're checking in and maybe we're identifying so many pitfalls of the way that we're headed. We've got to shift. It's just about being as agile as possible. And yes, afraid of failure, but I always say like, is this a moral wound, right? Is this mistake going to kill us? Sure. And the idea every step of the way is how do we just make sure we don't inflict mortal wounds on ourselves? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that you're thinking about fear, but not, you're not being paralyzed by it. You know, no. like you're taking the chance you're going to put yourself out there and help. That's, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, all of these things are so impressive. I love all the resources and programmings you describe for your members. So, okay, let's say um, you're an organization that wants to get to where you're at when it comes to innovation with that mindset. So what does it take for an organization to be innovative? Where do we start? Pure, unadulterated stupidity of the CEO. It, <laughs> it helps, just no. Well, that is uh, is set. We are ready no to go. problem there. <laughs> uh, what does it take to be innovative? Um, the super BS answer would be like, oh, culture of innovation. You need a culture of innovation. Everybody needs to have their innovation cap on or I honestly don't know what the hell that means. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. And now let me say, I do believe corporate culture is important in this process, right? You have to have a safe place where people can ask possibly stupid questions, a place where people can wonder out loud that they can come up with bad solutions on their way to good solutions, that they're free enough to tell the CEO when and why they don't think something's going to work. All those things are an extension of culture. And so they matter, right? But culture of innovation, uh, I'm not sure that's what people mean when they, when they say culture of innovation. Let me just start practically. Like, like not everybody is a born innovator and that's okay. I'm probably not strictly speaking a born innovator. Over the last couple of years, I've gotten really into the teachings of uh, Patrick Lencioni, who five dysfunctions of a team, you know, author, it's got a ton of books out. His most recent is the six types of working genius. And that's a process where you define what's the work that people do that makes them come alive. If you have a process that goes from start to finish, like where do you fit in that process and where do you find the, the most joy in the work, right? And there's natural roles that we all fall into that fill our cup. And there's, there's other things that we have to do in a process that may just drain us completely. So Lencioni calls these wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. All right. Now, wonder asks questions, right? It identifies needs. It's like, hey, I wonder how we can fix that problem for people or whatever it is, right? Invention comes up with solutions. Discernment then evaluates those solutions and helps to make some better or throws them out completely. Then once you all agree, well, okay, this is a solution worth pursuing. Galvanizers encourage and motivate others to do the work. Enablers are people who identify just kind of what people need along the way. And they're just those helpers, right? That come alongside. They're, they're maybe not the direct doers, but they're helping tremendously support the folks that are doing the different parts of work. And then there's that tenacity, right? People that are going to take a process over the finish line. They're going to take it that last five yards or 10 yards that really get it done and get camera ready. In that wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, tenacity, I'm not an inventor in that process. That's not a working genius for me. My two geniuses are wonder 
So the question asker, I'm always wondering out loud, right? Well, but how can we do this better? Or what would make that more effective or whatever? And my other working genius is discernment. The person who evaluates those ideas, someone else comes up with the invention. Well, what if we did this? Mm -hmm. That's good, but I think this would make it better. Or that won't work and, and here's why, right? So just doing that. I think recognizing that to make innovation happen, you have to have the parts and the pieces of that process. We all, we put this incredible pressure on ourselves to all be coming up with grandiose ideas. And that may not be the thing that we're all good at, right? In order for innovation to happen or just get started, I think it's good to have an evaluation. What parts and pieces do we have? What are we lacking? Maybe we need to pull in a volunteer leader to fill one of the roles that we don't have. So when we're going to do strategic planning or we're going to do something, we just have to evaluate, like, how are we going to get to the eventual process of innovation? What parts and pieces do we need to enable that that we may not have today? So shameless plug, I am a, a certified instructor and working genius because I just believe in this model tremendously. And I'm happy, of course, to kind of share my passion for this with anybody anytime. What was the, cer the certification is certified genius? Is that what it said? Uh no, no, not certified genius. I was like, well, that's a very cool. Certified instructor in six types of working genius. Got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Now let's take a quick break to hear more about this episode's sponsor, The Art of Mentoring. If you've been thinking about starting a mentoring program to support your members, but you don't know where to begin, we have found the experts. The Art of Mentoring works with associations to develop and implement mentoring programs specifically designed for associations. The Art of Mentoring team provides tools and support to ensure your mentoring program is a success and delivers value to your participants. Learn how mentoring can play a pivotal role in shaping your industry, trade, or professional association. Download eBooks, research, and more at artofmentoring.net slash associations. One of the things though, you said, Chris, I'm curious, you you talked about your strengths in, in that process. Do you think you had those ingrained in you? Do you had those from the get-go or are those like muscles you had to like train and flex? When CLA would say that some of that is just inherent, right? But that's just, that's the way that your brain works. It's what you're wired for. It's like it, and it's not saying you can't do the other things, right? It just means that it may really drain you to do those other parts of the process. Sure. And so- this isn't fatalistic, like, oh, well, yeah, I just, you don't have the innovation muscle or you don't have the invention muscle. It's just to say that you may serve a better or different role in the process. And so I think it all starts with just being able to assess what you've got and how to work innovation as a process and not just look at it like, well, we hope that inspiration hits us someday in the shower and we figure out what our organization needs. No, again, you're listening to your member and somebody wonders, again, wonder, first step in the process, you know, we've heard from five different members about this. I wonder if there's anything we can do about that. And that kicks off a process of innovation. It's so great. I can even identify like my strengths in, in what you're talking about. I'm like, oh no, that's not me, but that that part would be me. So I can see how it really does apply. And now I have to ask, what are, what, what, what sticks out to you? I feel like I ask so many questions all the time. So wonders definitely, I feel like that's a flex. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, Steven, about you. Uh, but I feel like I would be the one who would want to come up with the solution. Invention. Yeah. And then also the tenacity part. Like I want to put a bow on it and send it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Katie, Katie, I can see that, Katie. Absolutely. That I think that's really cool. I 
one thing next I want to ask you, Christopher, is that something you probably already answered in one of your, your answers, but I want to get an answer for this specific question, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit. So okay. small org with strapped cash resources, sure. how can I possibly innovate? Great question. Okay. So I've been, I've been part of a small staff organization. I totally get this question. I remember what it's like to just feel like, you know what we did today? We got dues invoices out. Right. I would let me, I'd a damn deal. Right. And there's nothing real inspiring about like, we just literally the bare minimum we have to do as an organization is to get dues invoices out the door. And that's, that's what we could do today. Yeah. So I totally get this. Please understand if you're listening to this, you're like, ah, oh, this is just an out of touch, big association CEO that has no idea what that's like. Here's where I'm going to push you. If you actually want to innovate, I need you for a second, to take your mindset out of the can't you just all the things we can't do. Oh, we don't have this. We don't have that. And I need you to think, sir, just think about yourself for a minute as just the founder of a startup. Okay. You're a tiny organization, but, but Hey, you've got an advantage over other startup companies, right? Because you actually have revenue right now. You have an existing base of activity and income. So you're better off than most startup companies are on day one, right? Let's start with no revenue. All right, cool. I already have one in your favor. Now I'm going to give you the most CAE answer that I possibly can. Okay. Listen to your members. What are they telling you they need? Won't surprise you to hear me say that uh, based on everything I've said so far. What are their pain points? Maybe here's the question. What are your members buying from somebody else right now? What are they paying somebody else for that they're not happy with? Like, Hey, we have to do this one thing from these people. And that sucks. Great question to ask. So that's where I need you to be. That means I need you to stop asking questions like, how do we get more people to buy our education? Or how can we market membership better, right? These are bullshit questions that are about you and they're not about your member. Yep. Okay. So when you fill needs, people show up. If you are relevant as an organization, you won't have a problem with people showing up to your conference. But when you make it about you and your goals, nobody cares. Okay. So hopefully that's a shift in mindset and hopefully I'm not stating that too intensely. I apologize if I'm hurting anybody's feelings out there. So now you've done that. If you can be responsive to a member's needs, right? If you can say, all right, look, our members have identified this problem and we're going to go try to solve that problem. If the need is substantial enough and it's legitimate enough, then I want you to go put together a pitch deck that you are going to go in and you're going to pitch your members on investment in this side. Because you are solving not your problems, but their problems, right? Hey, you have told us, we've heard from a bunch of members that we have this problem. Here's how we propose that we're going to solve this problem. Create a pitch deck that clearly articulates that problem and how you're going to solve it. And then go ask your members to fund it. And here's the deal. If they won't fund it, then the problem you're solving is not big enough or they don't believe in your solution. And you need to go back to square one. But you are pitching for their investment. You are trying to get them to invest in the solutions that you are proposing to their problems. And I don't mean to sound harsh and say that just all the other stuff is just excuses. Like, oh, we, you know, we just saw a resource we don't have. I get it. I really do. But at the end of the day, you're either completely hobbled by that and you're not going to try to do something about it or you are. Yeah. And so if you are and you want to, then this is the approach that I would take. And if anybody goes down this road and wants me to sit through their pitch, I will sit through their pitch and, and listen to it and offer unabashed feedback as you already gathered on Cape. <laughs> uh, and I, I say that not because we're just so impressive or awesome, but just because we've gone down this road, like this is how the, this is really how we've approached innovation 
with an iBat is just how do we be responsive to a need and we build something that will be relevant to our members and then how do we get them to fund it? I love that. One of the things I think, Christopher, is I've seen it and I'm sure you have too in your space is there's so much competition now, right? Uh, you can go on YouTube and look up how to do something without having to go to pay to go to a convention, to stay in a hotel, all those things. So I think we've got to, I think, associate with to step up our game a bit. I don't think we can rely on everyone just coming back to us out of loyalty all the time, especially post-pandemic when people are looking for the best deal and looking to make for you to really sort of bring home your value proposition as to why they should be sort of participating in your group. And I love some suggestions you've said, because I think it's a new mindset for some. I feel like. And it's well, always a good reminder. Sorry, excuse me. Just oh, it. like what you're constantly, I feel like saying throughout this whole uh, conversation is to bring it back to your member. You know, are, what are you doing to solve their problem? Because that's really, truly the core of why they're, they're coming to you. That, that's it. That's it. The art. And if that means you have to evolve as an organization, that's okay. I realize it may be scary, but if, again, if you are responding to a need that it's big enough and in the right way, your members will fund that. So we've got that answer. So I'm the leader. I'm, I'm ready to be innovative. The team is ready. So how do I convince my leadership that we should be innovative when you're dealing with a board or volunteer leaders? How do you how do you come to them and say like, okay, guys, I'm going to push you or we're going to we're going to flex this muscle a little bit. How do you convince your leadership to go that route? Steve, I think it goes back to that pitch deck and the story that you're telling. We have heard from members this. Here's how we think we should respond. If you hit that right, how are they going to say no? You're responding to their problems. They should inherently understand the problems as you are describing them because you are just telling them their story back to them. And then you're saying, here's a way that I propose we as an association try to solve the problems in that story. If that's compelling enough and they don't want to get on board with that, I don't understand what they're doing, right? What's the point of our organization? Yeah. Just put on a conference. Right. But right. to your point, Stephen, that is being undercut every single day by free players or low cost players in the market. So I don't know what else to say other than the story has to, it has to be their story. It has to be compelling and there ought to be a response. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think the way, way you phrased it, I think it really will focus on your approach, how you, how you approach the leadership with being innovative and, and that nature. Like you said, if you're just telling their story back to them, they're going to see themselves in that story and they're going to want buy-in, right? But if, if you come to them, I guess, just asking for, we need $20,000 in budget to be innovative. Can you guys please approve that? And I'll be like, well, we're going to build a uh, cool website. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah, I think, I think it is in the way you present to your leadership. And like you mentioned before, just having sort of that innovative and entrepreneurial spirit and making sure your board is, comes along that journey with you. I have another hard question, I think. Uh, so apparently I'm playing the role of Barbara Walters in this one because I'm a <laughs> tough one. Um, how do you create a space for your team to be innovative? Now, the people that report to you, your staff, how do you how do you push them to be innovative in a, in a, a space where, like you said, we're doing stuff every day, right? We're, sometimes we're just trying to get stuff out the door. Mm -hmm. How do you create that sort of innovative space for them to flex their creativity and, and their entrepreneurial spirit? That is the hard part, right? We all have day jobs. We all have stuff to do. The last thing any of us really needs is extra stuff to do. I guess I think the best innovations that we have as a team come from when we are just talking to our members or about our members. And hopefully your team doesn't need convincing to talk to members, right? So here's one thing I, I would say, shut up and listen for a little bit, not you, 
but but those out there. I've been listening this whole hour, Christopher. Dang. Um, some of us get in this habit, like, oh, we're going to go tell members about what we're doing, right? We're going to make sure they know how much we know. We're going to tell them about the legislative thing that's coming at them, and and they're going to know what we've done to, to try to fix it. It's all fine, well, and good. Uh, that nothing's bad about that. Except in this instance, if we want to get back to the heart of innovation, we've got to start listening first. And hopefully we're building time to listen to members, right? Not just in an annual survey, but like we're picking up the phone and talking to our members or we're going out to their places of business and we're hearing them describe their challenges themselves. And number one, innovation that is an extension of that. The best times of innovation we have as a management team in IBAT or just as a group, it, we're sitting around talking about, hey, you know, I heard this from somebody. You know what? That really jives with what I heard from somebody over here. Mm-hmm. Before we know it, we're asking, is there something we can do about that? Is there a tool we can develop? Is there a, a something that we can do as an organization? How do we respond to that need that has been identified? You're going to find your way into innovation. Innovation is a compassionate response to listening, right? So listening first hopefully again you don't need convincing to listen to your members or go spend time with them i don't know another way to do this job yeah that's great well done good answer oh thank you i thought i <laughs> thought i totally avoided actually giving an answer to the question no. <laughs> no, no. i got stuff out of that i feel like uh, okay uh like you said it goes back to listening to the member right i think innovation for innovation's sake can be dangerous just pushing forward on something that you think Someone, or, you know, one person told you they wanted it and you, you move forward with that. And you have a membership of a thousands, like how, how can you do that? It's just, I think listening to your members and, and your team too, like there are some team members that, you know, we, we have a small team here. Some, some of our team members talk to members all the time. And some of our team members don't touch members as much as the others do. So we lean on those that have those conversations consistently about like, what are you guys hearing as far as like education challenges, uh, frustrations? We, there have been times where we've even, we've, completely scrapped an idea and said, okay, like 12 people have mentioned this. We need to have something on this now. We need to focus on this. So I think along with listening, I think there comes an effort of flexibility with it too, right? To be able to adjust your sales, if you will, uh, on what you're hearing. So Steven, you, uh, you got a really good point there. I want to hammer on innovation for innovation's sake is, is dangerous. Sometimes it's tough. Think about how many of us have put in a discussion board or some other tech tool at our associations. Because that's what we were told was cool and innovative. Give your members opportunity to connect with each other. And no members ever told us that that was the thing that they were looking for that they wanted, right? right. We were darn sure because we went to a conference and heard that that was a really great idea. Yeah. And, and then we came back to our members and were like, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to put a discussion board. And they said, okay. And they passed us on the head and said, that's cute. We appreciate it. And then nobody used it, not even our board. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, I, I'm not saying that happened to us, but I'm saying right. I, it's happened to a lot no, of people it, yeah. in different. And that's one micro. I feel so called out right now. By no, that. no, no. Then we're <laughs> actually directed directly, Kate. I, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I, just, I, mean, I replace discussion board with something else. Like, I mean, they're, you're right. We we hear we go to these places and, the, and people tell us that this is what you should be doing, um, and then you think like, well, gosh, uh, how can we do that? We're so tiny, or our funds are so restricted. We don't have, um, and I worry people get so caught up in that, that they, they tie their own hands as far as innovation, which is one of the reasons I wanted to ask you to come speak to us today, because I think what you guys are doing is pushing the envelope. And I hope, I hope that people are listening and getting inspired about what they could possibly do for their organizations to help them 
be a little more innovative and maybe not be so reliant like you guys are on like the the traditional dues membership conference yeah. all those things have have another uh, source of revenue to sort of push forward and help their organizations move forward and their industries that they serve so yeah no i, I this has been great christopher thank you so much awesome. i feel inspired by today i think this is such great conversation true okay i have a confession uh recently we kind of had a a list that we had to make of, of certain things and innovation was on it. And where do you feel most comfortable with it? And we had to kind of rank these things and innovation was at the bottom of my list. And I feel so much differently about it, just hearing your perspective and it feels doable for me. Like if, you know, it, to me, it seems like this kind of big, scary technology focused thing. Right. And just hearing you talk about it, it's like, oh wait, no, I can't do that. It's super easy. Right. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, awesome. No, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I do have our standard last podcast question for you. Okay. And it's really just to kind of bring it back full circle. Why do you think that being engaged with organizations like TSAE is so important? All right. This is a really nerdy answer, but it's one I, I it's really important. I hope it's one that nobody's given before. Been involved with TSA throughout my whole career. And, um, being involved in TSA taught me how to get stuff done in associations, right? I learned from my peers. I learned in education. I learned from the CAE. The organizations we serve as associations are really unique organizations. We have a unique governance model. We have governing documents and policies that have to be followed. They have to be shaped to support the organization as it exists today, but also the organization as it will evolve under our leadership. So all those things are are really important to understand. You've got to have kind of the book learning, the book knowledge to know how to do that. And then you also need people who have the wisdom who know how to build in that change. And TSAE gave me those things. It gave me that ability to kind of see and understand how to get stuff done within associations in those confines. And I think that, as they say, has made all the difference. That's awesome. Great. You'll be happy. You know, we have not heard that answer before. So two thumbs up. Way to go. Nobody goes governance. Way to be innovative on your answer, Crystal. Nobody goes governance. Everybody, nobody's a big big enough nerd to say, you know, it's governance. (laughs) You know, it's policy. I really like policy. I guarantee people are always like, the people. (laughs) And I do. Yeah. Governance matters. And it's how you get stuff done. And it's so suspicious. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us today, Christopher. We've enjoyed our conversation with you so much. I feel like you've opened our eyes a little bit into innovation because it's something we're trying to focus on quite a bit. And one of the reasons we wanted to invite you on today, because we know all the incredible things IBAT's doing. And I think a lot of people could learn from uh, your team's uh, sort of uh, gusto and of course your leadership and perspective. So thank you for spending the time with us. I really, really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks again to Christopher Williston for joining us today. And again, special thanks to Art of Mentoring for sponsoring today's episode. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of TSAE's Better by Association. Join us each month as we have more conversations with members from the association community. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you'd like more information about the Texas Society of Association Executives, be sure to visit us online at tsae.org. And on behalf of TSAE, I'm Katie Markert with Stephen Stout, See you next time. Bye, guys.